This podcast is for information purposes only and is not and should not be construed as professional advice or an offer or commitment by any Rabobank group member to enter into a transaction. The views expressed by the presenter and or guest are their own and do not necessarily represent the views of Rabobank. Please see the podcast description for our full disclaimer. Welcome to Rabo Talks Growing Our Future, where we talk to experts from both here in New Zealand and across the world to bring New Zealand farmers and growers the information they need to make informed strategic decisions about the future direction of their business to ensure they continue to thrive in a fast-changing world. We hear a lot about regenerative agriculture, but what do we mean by a regenerative organisation? Increasingly, businesses, both farming and agribusiness globally, are beginning to look to regenerative design principles to encourage better employee engagement, participation, health, and to unlock their hidden productivity potential. I'm your host, Katie Rodwell, and today we're looking at business with a slightly different lens. We're joined by international thought leader Trey Cates of InRhythm, currently visiting New Zealand from the States, to talk to us about what regenerative design principles are and how they come from living systems. Trey Cates is well known internationally for his work in designing, developing, and implementing an organization's purpose for the future. He's worked with many agribusinesses over the years, including white oak pastures. This is a great discussion and gives us lots to think about. Trey, it's fantastic to have you with us here today. Um, You're here in New Zealand, which is really exciting. Is this your first time here? It isn't. Uh, This is my third time here, so I'm glad to be back. Nice, seasoned, seasoned. So actually, let's let's start with introducing yourselves. We like, I guess, to introduce themselves to, to the audience and just give us a little bit of background, I suppose, into your career, um, who you are and where you're from. Great. Uh, Trey Cates and uh, from the U.S. Lived in Colorado for, was born in Texas, lived in Colorado for 25 years and then just recently moved back to Texas. So that's where I reside currently. And uh, been doing this kind of work for the last 20 years or so in terms of supporting uh, approaches that really look at things very differently than the way we would currently look at things, more from a conventional or traditional standpoint. So, uh, but a lifelong entrepreneur, uh, operator uh, in multiple industries and uh, across the world in multiple different contexts. And yeah, that's a little bit about me. Great. Now, you've obviously just mentioned the kind of work that you do. Can you give us some context as to what, what the work that you do is? And then what we'll do is we'll dive into the kind of regenerative design principles. But just from a, a broader context, what is the work that you do? We introduced the idea that social systems or organizational systems, societal systems are all living systems. And, and as a result, it requires different management. So... Our current design is really deeply rooted in a mechanistic reductionist design, and we encourage a big shift from that to see it as a living system, which means our management and process should change if that is true, and we believe it to be true. So we are all about building capacity and supporting people and building capacity around that, as well as demonstrating the efficacy of that as a viable approach in organizations and social systems. So what got you into this work? Like, was there a a moment in time where you kind of 
something triggered you or how did you get into this work? Because it is quite different in terms of both looking at, at farming businesses and agribusinesses. It's a very different way. Well, it's not, it isn't very different. It's a very similar way to how they operate. But in terms of how we traditionally think about how we run businesses, it's quite different. So keen to kind of find out how you got into this. Yeah. So actually, I, I came into it through agriculture. I had run multiple tech businesses over the years, uh, both in manufacturing and then in development. And uh, in transitioning out of some of those businesses, I was introduced to a couple of board members at the beginning emerging Savory Institute. And I came on as an early member in that team and uh, began to really dive deeply into seeing uh, everything through that ecosystem lens and far more holistic. And and I just, uh, actually, it was transformational. Uh, for me, it was uh, one of those moments where I'm like, oh my goodness, this was something that was missing in terms of how I was approaching things. And with that lens, I immediately saw the application to organizations and social systems and began to dive deeply into how we would build an approach that could mimic that. Okay. And for those listeners that don't know what the Savory Institute is, could you just give us a bit of a rundown on that organization? Yeah. The Savory Institute was founded as the namesake of Alan Savory, which was about large-scale restoration of grasslands globally. So part of the role I played at the Savory Institute was going and supporting uh, organizations all over the world and creating hubs that were educating and supporting regenerative agriculture. Uh, so the production of food and fiber from those landscapes without degrading those landscapes. And so that whole approach, I then said, oh, it's completely applicable to organizations. We, we tend to extract both from people and from the industries that we're in. It could be uh, land resources or other natural resources. And what can we do to think about of a design that isn't extractive by its very nature and design? Okay. And so we do hear a lot about the, t- the term regenerative agriculture, but what do we mean by regenerative design in a business context or even in a farming context? Yeah. So in a living system, you really are measuring a living system based on the health of that system. And so it's not based on an industrialized model or a mechanistic model that's based on productivity and efficiency. So the contrast between a living system and a mechanistic or industrialized system is health versus productivity and efficiency. So when we think about social systems, we are reframing the idea that we should just measure productivity and efficiency. That's still a measure. But what does it look like to measure the health of that system, not just the productivity of that system? And that really is what regenerative design is, is designing with health in mind, not just productivity and efficiency. And what are those design principles? Well, so actually, you know, we view it in a couple of different ways. One is we actually see patterns that this may be something that has even evolved from the time, Katie, you were in our leadership course. We see some patterns in living systems uh, that give us insight that our management should be different. And some of those patterns, one is holism. Uh, Obviously, there is something about seeing something across versus siloed into particular areas. 
And uh, this idea of interrelatedness, that there's all kinds of parts in the system that are what we call holes within holes or actually viable, meaningful entities or relationships that should be cared for. Uniqueness versus a commoditized way of designing, which is kind of boxing potential or forcing a certain form. Uh, we see things as unique and what can we do to bring out the uniqueness in a design? Evolutionary as a part of our desire to be in a dynamic equilibrium with the systems that we're a part of versus in contrast or in conflict with them. Uh, nodal, we believe in this kind of redistribution of power in decision-making uh, that is just like you would see in any living system where there isn't one power source and uh, no centralized control, uh, which is what most design is based off of. And then developmental, what does the health and growth of our members look like? Just like you would think about in any ecosystem where you're trying to create healthy conditions for all the life in that system as a part of a process. So those are the patterns that inform designs within organizations. And we actually take organizations through a process where they look at those patterns and say, now what does design principles look like for them that incorporate those patterns as a way to, to really support their context? So really it's flexible and open to that being a creative process for them versus a prescriptive process. Okay. And I know that you're obviously out here in New Zealand at the moment doing a bit of a tour and talking to New Zealand businesses, both in the sustainability space, but also in the agribusiness space. What do these design principles look like for like an agribusiness? Just to try and build some context for those that this, this is quite a new concept. What does that sort of practically look like? Well, and actually, uh, this is something that we see is quite amazing. It, it's more of a meta view. So it actually, from an application standpoint, shows up as very similar across organizations because we all have almost identical management systems, right? So those management systems look similar from one industry to the next because we've all been trained to design organizations a certain way, which is very top-down. It's very hierarchy organized. It's very centralized. It's about force and control. So it's a lot of external force on accountability. And we would say that all of the energy shifts to what does it look like to empower agency within the system? So how do people make decisions that then redistributes that power in decision-making and actually then allows for more resilience in the system because there's more people, more engaged uh, as a part of that design versus a single group of people. So if it's senior executives or a small group of management that's forcing design on the rest of us while we don't really understand nor know how we are to behave within that system other than to just do what we were told. So this is really shifting all that. And that seems to be similar across every kind of industry from government all the way to small, medium enterprises uh, we tend to force that kind of control on the on the design. Okay. And in terms of how the design principles add value, I mean, it, just by understanding them, we sort of can start to see how they add value. But in a simplistic way, how, how do you articulate the value that they bring to a business? 
Yeah. So we think about when we think about the health of that system, we think through the lens of energy and information. So imagine, you know, and, and Katie, I'm sure you have experienced this as well. You know, what does it look like when an environment that you're a part of really cares about your energy as a part of that system? You are more engaged and you bring even more potential to that system. And if information is in a healthy um, flow and cycle, meaning things are not siloed, things are allowed to emerge in a way that is beneficial to the individual and the whole within that system, that means you make better decisions. So imagine a system that is truly abundant is a system that has energy flows and cycles as well as information uh, flows and cycles that are healthy. Uh, which is exactly what you see in ecosystems when abundance shows up, is those things now are a normal part of the system. Then outcomes just take care of themselves. They're not forced outcomes, which we believe when you force outcomes in a living system, usually it's at the expense of the health of the system. And in social systems, that's you, that's me, and it's how we make decisions. And so if we show up irritated or disengaged, what kind of decisions are we going to make? And that's why in most uh, industrialized systems, there are only a few people making decisions because you can imagine most of us are disengaged. And if we are making a decision based on that disengaged energy state, it's not going to be good decisions, right? And, and that's why you never find a senior executive in an organization not being cared for. Because they need the right kind of energy to be able to make decisions across the organization. We're just encouraging that to happen now across all of the organization in meaningful and practical ways. Mm. And, I mean, obviously you talked about at the start that you look at health as a measure as well as productivity and, you know, your kind of typical measures of success of a business, let's say. Have you seen um, in your experience over the last sort of 20 years doing this work an increase in productivity or profitability when you have an increase in health, whether that's in your living system or in a social system? Yeah, so I will say from a farming agricultural standpoint, I've seen it time and time again. You know, when we focus on, uh, and this is for the namesake of our organization, in rhythm, when we're in rhythm with life, uh, and then we allow the outcomes to take care of themselves. The underlying ecosystem process is something that works with you. It doesn't work against you. And, and I've seen abundance in ecosystems that no scientist in a traditional way would have ever predicted. And across multiple different landscapes and across different countries. So I've seen it in ways that has changed my life. That I really became committed to... What can we do in social systems to begin to experience the same kind of abundance uh, where the outcomes of the system really aren't just forced and controlled, that they're emergent and the abundance is greater uh, than the typical linear one plus one equals two. You actually get an exponential benefit. And, and I think there are examples of things that are starting to show up like that, but this is early days and this kind of approach is very much uh, in its early stages of development. And, but I think there are some examples of things starting to show up that is quite incredible in terms of seeing that potential. 
Yeah, and I know, I mean, obviously you're from the States and, and we'll talk about an example of with white oak pastures in a moment, but there's obviously interest in the States around this kind of way of thinking. How have you found the interest and how's it sort of landing in the New Zealand context? Well, you know, so I, I, this is, like I said before, third time being here, and as is the case in any country, you, know, you, you get all kinds of people in the adoption curve associated with embracing something like this. Those who have a lot to lose to embrace this kind of um, approach. And that's because power and decisions right now are concentrated in a few hands. And why would I lose, want to give up that control or that power? So I think there is a part of the industrialized system that definitely is against what this emerging new approach would be and what the potential is. But, but I will also say that there are some industrialists, those who are part of the system, also recognize the limitations of the current system. There's incredible disengagement rate. There's incredible lack of resources that are being created as an unintended consequence of the design. So even those who have at times been anti this kind of approach are becoming more open to the realities that the current industrial system is not very resilient and very fragile and COVID showed that to be the case. And so, but then we have those who, and I was sharing this with a group of people at Lincoln University this morning, we have those who are, are attracted and interested in just knowing more. We have those who um, are in a pain point right now, and they really need to do something different. Otherwise, the current system is going to implode on them. And then there are others who are advocates, who are, see it, and they're just super excited about being champions of this kind of approach. And so I, I think we find people in all of those different places. And the more, the larger, more bureaucratic the institution, the harder it is for them to make the change, and the more entrepreneurial and small medium enterprises have the ability to make change quickly as a part of this kind of approach. So you see the gamut uh, in terms of those who are interested in or less interested in the process. Okay. And let's bring this to life by talking about maybe how you bring these design principles into a supply chain or into a business. I know you've done a lot of work with white oak pastures. Yeah. Could you... Firstly, just give us some context as to who they are and how they have used these principles to reimagine their, their business, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've known Will and the family at White Oak Pastures since 2014, so going on 10 years, about a decade. And I've seen them, and before me, really implement a real move from the industrialized commoditized agriculture and beef production to one that really nurtures the underlying ecosystem that they're a part of. And that required them to pull themselves out of that typical uh, industrialized process, which meant that he, Will, and his family would have had to find different ways to be able to bring this product to market, which allowed them to now diversify into moving them from just traditional distribution. Uh, so if you were selling the animal, could be at the typical distribution that you would see in the supply chain to direct to consumer or large amount of distribution that now is across the entire US uh, as a part of their distribution base. And their farm went from a monoculture of beef 
to a polyculture of multi-species and, uh, and from a very one or two species of grass to multi-species of grass as a part of their ongoing commitment uh, to regeneration. So regeneration is about creating conditions for health within the system. So it doesn't matter if it's a natural ecosystem or if it's a social system, what are those? So it's about energy and nutrients in the system. And so as we create those conditions, they have been doing this now for a while to create an enormous amount of, uh, of opportunity uh, for them, their families. And then that has regenerated the communities that they've been a part of. They're based in a uh, county that's the poorest county, one of the poorest counties in the entire United States. And they're the largest employer as well as paying their teams, their staff, more than the average of what is in the area. So a lot of regeneration that happens as much within the soil as it is within uh, the communities that it's a part of. Yeah, and I suppose it then has flow-on effects to the people that they're working with around them, whether that's up the supply chain or down the supply chain as well. Yeah, hundred thousands of people that are buying their products and communities of uh, people who are a part of the supply chain that are being influenced and impacted by all of their uh, individual and collective decisions. Before we wrap up, Trey, do you have any kind of key messages or takeaways for New Zealand farmers and growers that will be listening to this? I'm guessing, I don't want to generalise here, but I'm guessing it's going to be quite a new concept for a lot of our listeners, even those in the rural professional space. So any kind of key messages or takeaways before we go? Yeah, I, I would say if, if we could just embrace the idea that a living system in all the systems that uh, you as farmers or others that are managing that the measure we should be paying attention to is health. And that when we create conditions for more and more health, more and more diversity, more and more life, uh, then the outcomes become a natural progression of what that health is. And the more we begin to see that, the more it will change our management design and I think it will transform our, our farms, uh, being more resilient and more productive. But productivity can't be at the expense of health. It needs to be with health as a part of the design. If someone was listening to this and then was sort of thinking to themselves, well, how do I measure health? Obviously, probably quite different in a social context versus a living system context. Can you just really briefly just talk to those two? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, I don't really see it being too different. And I'll share the, the, the crossover here. So when you think about a natural ecosystem, we think about it through that underlying ecosystem process. And mostly it's energy and nutrients that need to be managed in that system. And so energy flow coming from the sun and nutrients being all the minerals and the water cycles that need to be able to create conditions for more life in that system. When we think about a social system, it's the same. It's energy in the system, which we believe is people. And people need to be freed up to be able to bring their full genius, their full energy, their, their full uniqueness as a part of that process. And when there is more energy in that system, we make different kinds of decisions. And decisions that think about things versus just a reaction to what is happening within the system. So as, as nutrients are what we're managing in a... Uh, natural ecosystem, 
It's really information in all kinds of form that we're managing in social systems. So energy and information really is the same kind of decision. And so with that, we are encouraging people uh, to ensure that those two things are in healthy flows and cycles. And uh, as long as there's healthy flows and cycles, it creates very different conditions. And those conditions are what create the outcomes that we all want. Mm, amazing. Trey, I always ask my guests um, what they think the food and fiber sector is going to look like or what they would like it to look like in 2050, although I'm going to start moving it forward because each guest is like, it's too far out. So we'll go for 2030. Um, from your perspective, what, what would you like the food and fiber sector to look like in 2030? Well, I, I appreciate uh, where you started with that. And uh, it's not too far out. I don't think it's far out enough. So I'm going to push you back to where you were before, which is... Nice. I love that. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> let's go there. <laughs> let's go to 2050. Thank you. Yeah, that's right. 2050 is where we need to go because in reality, it's the next series of generations that really need to be empowered and have the capacity to make decisions this way. So that coming through the educational system, we're not taught to make decisions based on what's going to produce or be the most efficient. We're taught about creating healthy communities within healthy soils, with healthy animals and healthy people, all a part of how we then come together individually and collectively to make decisions. And when that needs to happen at a grassroots local level, and the more we can do that, the more we're gonna influence policy at the national and international level. That isn't just about top-down force and control, that it really is an emergent outcome of health in the system that we all know comes from our commitment to creating those conditions. That's what I imagine in 2050. Mm, sounds amazing. Trey, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. It's been a real pleasure and such a, a sort of a new topic and really makes you think differently. So um, really appreciate your insights and um, enjoy the rest of your time here in New Zealand. How much longer are you here for? Yeah, actually, I'll be here for another, uh, I guess, about uh, 10 days. So I'm still at the beginning of my trip. And so we'll be here all of next week. And it's absolutely a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me on the podcast and just the opportunity to share and to give people an alternative to the current designs is all I'm really asking for. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Rabo Talk's Growing Our Future podcast. If you're interested in learning more about how Rabobank can support you to succeed into the future, please go to rabobank.co.nz.